Hallelujah. Turn in your Bible. Let's just, let me just see here. You know, we're going to hit a lot of different scriptures tonight. I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'm going to go through some uh, review about the disciple makers. And tonight we're going to look at the motivation of our mission and the, and the mindset we need and then some methodologies uh, to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, but before we do that, let me just, kind of, let's just pray together and open up our hearts. And then I'm going to just, I, I hate to keep reviewing, but how many of you know it's review is not a bad thing? I just keep building upon this thought and hopefully, uh, you know, it all begins to gel on the inside of us and, and we can begin to, uh, uh, step it up to another level of be, not only being a disciple, but we've learned that if you're going to be a disciple, you're really going to be a disciple maker. That, that's just a part of our makeup, uh, as disciples. We are disciple makers. Father, thank you for the word of God tonight. May it bring forth much fruit in our life. And I thank you, Lord, for the call of God and the commission of God upon us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want us to turn, just go ahead and turn in your Bible to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. We ought to get this down. We ought to be able to memorize this. If you haven't memorized it, uh, you certainly should. And then there's a New Testament verse I'm going to give you in just a few moments, another New Testament verse about the purpose of of Jesus Christ that all of us need to uh, adhere to in our own life as well. <coughs> but Jesus, some of Jesus' famous last words, <coughs> pardon me, verse 19, he said, go. Everybody say go. Go therefore and start churches and have vacation Bibles. Go. He didn't say that, but you know what? Those things have, they are built within this, this directive. You need to understand that, you know, birth churches, vacation Bible school, all of those things should have a purpose and their purpose should be found in making disciples. Go therefore and everybody say it, make disciples of all nations. And there's a lot to that, a lot of different ways and means and methodologies. We're going to look at some of that tonight. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the a end of the age. And everybody said, amen. So that's the, that's the great commission. And true disciples by their nature will make disciples. We said it this way many times over that we, we have a responsibility to model and mentor and multiply. Everyone say model, mentor, multiply. It's the top priority that we have in our life. You know, we look at our children and we think, you know, uh, you've heard the old phrase, they're a chip off the old block. And they, you know, our kids tend to look to us as examples and role models. And in, uh, whether we want them to or not, we model a lifestyle. <coughs> Sadly, I can name many over the years of ministry, many churches, uh, pardon me, many People that I have pastored over the year and attempted to pastor who, who never quite got it. And they, they kind of live life, you know, you know, church and Jesus was just a part of their pie. And therefore, how many of you know, if let's just use numbers. If your commitment level uh, on a scale of one to 10 is a four, uh, towards Christ, do you think your kids are going to be a five? Do you think they're even going to be a four? 
No, it'll water down. It, it has the, you know, it, the only thing that doesn't water down is 100%. I mean, you give it all 100%. If you're giving it a four or a five, that means you're half-hearted. And, and, and I've seen this so many times. I can, I can call names from back in equipment. Uh, people that just, come on now. Come, I just got pastorally. Come on now. You can do this. And, and, and the, the long-term effects now of their, their mediocrity is devastating, not only to them. I've got people in my, in, in my ministry past that are divorced and their kids are all fouled up because they just didn't get it. They didn't just jump, you know, all the way in. And as a result, uh, the, the, the trauma and the trouble has been, has been, uh, uh, just terrible. And so, and so the, 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 the Great Commission has got to become the top priority. And, and I've said this when it comes to the priority of God for the church. Most believers are oblivious to the obvious. We're just oblivious. And the obvious thing is we're to go forth and make disciples. And I said we need a revelation of the Great Commission in our heart to become, we must realize and, 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 and our eyes open to some things. And here are the, here are the five things that we've been teaching you here on Wednesday night. Uh, as disciple makers and becoming a disciple maker, we must, we must have a revelation that we need to be euthanized. We just need to be put to death. Just put them to death. Just, just deal with the flesh and, and put it to death. And then the second one was synthesized. And that was one that really stirred me. A, co- a combining of different elements into a coherent whole. That's the church coming together. Everybody say we're better together and we need one another. How many of you know the body of Christ, you know, we're all different parts and we need one another to fulfill God's purpose. And then Jim taught us that we must be authorized and walk in the authority of God for our life. Michael taught us uh, that we've got to have a global vision, globalized. And then last Wednesday night, we talk about the fact that we need to be weaponized, that the, co- that the Great Commission, fulfilling it is a battle. We need to pull, wield the weapons of of our warfare and pull down the strongholds of darkness. I promise you something that, that the devil is holding captive people and nations and, and people groups. And it, we, we need the church to rise up and take authority and, and buke the devil. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so those are just some elements to help us get a grip on the fact that that, you know, be- becoming a disciple is not just, you know, kind of a ho-hum, casual, you know, run-of-the-mill, mediocre, you know, uh, milk-toast kind of believer who's kind of easy-come, easy-go. These are serious believers who have stepped off into the purpose of God, and that's what I pray God will do within all of our hearts. With that in mind, I just want to just kind of bring some <coughs> some insight to the different aspects of this great commission and this mission. The first one is this, the motivation. What what should motivate us in all of this? Our motivation for the mission. Well, you know, and clearly, clearly many believers are not motivated toward the great commission because if they were motivated toward the great commission, then we would see more people born again. 
Uh, and so God wants to motivate us with the motivation that he's motivated with. And it's very simply this, the motivation that motivated God to send his son Jesus. And what is that? It's the motivation of love. God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And let me just say to, to us today that the motivation of our life uh, should be to love God and love others and love them enough to share Christ with them. That ought to motivate us. Not, you know, we shouldn't be motivated by con- con- condemnation. Not even really by conviction. You know, conviction alone, man, I've got a conviction about that now. Uh, conviction is good, but it's got to be undergirded by the love of God. I just love people enough. You know, if you loved, if we loved, I'll say it, if we loved our neighbors enough, we wouldn't want them or, 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 or to go to hell. We would want to do what we could to keep them from going to hell. How many of you love your family? You don't want them to go to hell. Uh, hey, listen, God loves everybody as much or more than we do. In fact, uh, if you turn to First John chapter 4, uh, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. His very nature is love. God loves the whole world, and if we love God, we have to love others. If we don't love God, don't love others, uh, the love of God is not in us. How many of you know the love of God is so powerful it just exudes out from our life? And so we need a fresh baptism of the love of God and just, and just come to a place in our life where, where we realize, man, he loved me so much he let his son die for me on a cross. He loves me and I need to love him and love others. A lot of people say they love God, but they don't love others. And, and that's just, that's just, uh, in fact, oh, I wish I could quote what I heard on the radio today. I, uh, I, mean, I can't quite quote it, but uh, it's something along those lines that people who think they're born again and don't have these character attributes living in them, this, this particular preacher said, I seriously uh, uh, question their, their born again experience because there's some evidences of being born again. And one of them is the, is the manifestation of the love of God in our life. Everybody say amen. So that's really the motivation. And we ought to just pause in our hearts and say, Lord, stir me with a fresh motivation of the love of God in my life for the world around me. Let me look at people through your eyes. I'll never forget. This is kind of a, a, a weak illustration, but Nathan and I were driving down the road somewhere in here in Beaumont, not too awful long ago. And, and uh, this car pulled up beside us and in a, you know, and the boom box thing was just blaring just I mean just just overwhelming and and my nature was certainly one of a negative and I said something oh man I just and my son said something like dad just let him be he's enjoying life let him love let him have fun dad or something like that and and it was kind of a funny humorous thing but all of a sudden I realized you know he saw it from a different perspective I had a negative slant and we, we can't expect the world to be Chevrolet and apple pie. The world, they're lost. They can't help it. We got to love them. Aren't you glad somebody loved you when you were a rascal, when you were a mess? Who, who can remember some people that just loved you when you really were unlovable? You just know some people in your life, they loved you anyway. And they loved you enough to share the love of Jesus with you. 
And so, so it, that's the motivation. That should be the motivation of our life. And if we stopped right there and went home and applied this in our life, our life and our world would change. That's the motivation for the mission. And now number two, the mindset for the mission. And it's found in Luke 19.10. I want you to turn there. Luke 19.10. And this really speaks to, uh, uh, Jeremy, could you get me a little more of this water, Jeremy? I'm, I'm loving that water and I'm already getting dry again. I did something this afternoon, I think backfired on me. I had one of those five-hour energy drinks. I think after five hours, it starts working in reverse because I'm sitting here going, ooh, I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, I'm, I, I, I got all motivated for, the fir- for five hours, but now I think, I think I'm coming down. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, but uh, the mindset, Luke 19, 10, are you there? Look what it says about Jesus. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Everyone say that out loud. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Say it again. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Say it again. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That has has got to become our mindset about our life, our purpose in life. And I just wrote this question down for me and for all of us. Thank you, Jeremy. You got me bigger and better. I appreciate it. Uh, when was the last time we went looking for lost people? Because that's what Jesus came to do. He's looking for lost people. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that should be our mindset about life. People are lost. I want to find some lost people and begin to do what I can to get them saved. How many of you know we're not the Savior, but we can bring them to the Savior? And that should be our mindset. Our motivation is love, but our mindset should be, I wonder if they're born again. I wonder if they're going to heaven. How can I, how can I help them uh, have a, a security in knowing that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. I, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a search, you know, uh, I'm on a search and, you know, the, the military, they're on search and destroy missions. We're on a search and save mission. Uh, that's the purpose of God for our life. We're to seek and to save, get people born again. When's the last time that ought to haunt us that we went looking for lost people, that our eyes were open to the world around us and we're, we're looking at people and we're looking through the lens of Christ. We're going to look at uh, the woman at the well in just a moment, but you know what? Jesus was on a seeking to save mission when he met the woman at the well in John 4. Uh, she was a Samaritan. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. But when you read John 4, it says this, Jesus said he must needs, that's King James, he must needs go through Samaria. Why? He's searching for lost people. I got to go because there are lost people in Samaria. That's his motivation. That's his mindset. He loved them. And now, I just want to give you some simple methodologies. 
There's some methodologies that we see in Scripture that work for all of us. And 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 I, let me just say, uh, there these methodologies work under the banner of the motivation of love and the mindset of seeking and saving. This is how they work. You can't just do something without the right motivation and the right mindset uh, in your heart. Uh, so... So you got to get the, the 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 motivation of love. You got to get the mindset. I'm I'm here to seek out that which is lost and bring salvation to a world that is lost and without Christ. And with that, I want to show share with you at least six. There's probably more, but I see six things in the Scripture that are methodologies for us that we can employ in our life and in our church. And it's they're multifaceted and and they have all. How many of you know? Uh, I'm a fisherman. Uh, and, and, and as a fisherman, uh, you don't just have one particular bait in your tackle box. You have numerous different, uh, types of lures and, and, and hooks. And, and one of the laws of fishing that is just one of the least top 10, I think it's number four, is that you can never have too much equipment. That's just a rule. It doesn't matter how much you have. It, it's not enough. You need some more. Uh, and so, so fishing is multifaceted and, and, uh, and, and, and you got to look at it from a lot of different angles and, and ways and means to catch certain fish. I don't know if any of you remember Bobby Sladovnik. Uh, he used to be a member here. I, we still fish some. He's lives in Rockwall and, uh, doing great by the way. And kids are doing good. Uh, but, uh, he doesn't know anything about summer fishing. All he knows is I, I call them beat the banks. It's I'm going to throw a lure towards the bank and pull it back. Well, in the summer, that's not the best methodology. It's deep. And in fact, last week, I caught a fish nearly nine pounds that was in 25 foot of water. And I'm trying to teach him that you can't just beat the banks. You've got to have a multifaceted approach to catching fish. It's the same way I'm just telling you that's good stuff right there. It's the same way with our mission and fulfilling our mission. And, and let me just give you some. And, and the first one is this, go and tell. Everyone say, go and tell. This is what the Great Commission is all about. Go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, how are you going to make disciples? You're going to tell them. You're going to preach to them. You're going to communicate truth to them. Go and tell. Everyone say, go and tell. That's the, that's the mindset of the Great Commission, and it's certainly uh, one that we need to embrace in our life. Uh, there's another one that we'll talk about in a moment that is totally different, but it still has the same potential result, uh, but go and tell. In fact, I love Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Mark 1, 38, and then, and, and then we'll look at Mark 5. Uh, Mark 1, 38, Jesus said this, let us go into the next towns. Everyone say next towns. Let us go in the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. What was he doing? He was going and telling. And he said to his disciples, his followers, let's go to the next town. Because there are people in the next towns. I've got, this is, this is the purpose that God has put in my heart. And, and he was primarily, Jesus' ministry was primarily, and in fact, uh, almost absolutely go and tell. He came to the world and he began to share with them, uh, the, the word of God. And he would go 
from town to town and community to community and his disciples would follow him. And, and we've got to have that mindset in our life. I've got to go and tell. Everyone say, go and tell. I love what in Mark chapter five, it's the story of a demoniac. I think it's the one where he cast the devils into the pigs. That point is secondary, but this demoniac would, would run through the, the, the cemetery, cut himself and they tried to chain him up and they couldn't keep him chained up. I'm telling you, this man had serious issues. He was demonized. In fact, he was so demonized that when Jesus rebuked the devil or the devils out of him, they got into the pigs. How many of you know there's more than one pig? There were pigs. It was a herd of swine, the Bible says, and they ran headlong off a cliff into the, I guess, the Sea of Galilee and, and drowned. And, and so there, here, now here's this this demoniac who is, has been delivered and he would, he was at one point naked and running, you know, just, just messed up. And now he's clothed and in his right mind. Back in Christmas time and different times, people would say, let's dress up for different occasions. I can't remember I, Bible characters or whatever. I would say, I'm, I'm going to come as the demoniac who's been healed. I'm just clothed and in my right mind. I, that's as far as I'm going to get with, dressing up, but he wanted to follow Jesus and, and rightly so he, man, he'd been delivered. How many of you know, if you had messed up as he was that all of a sudden you're healed and made whole clothed and in your right mind, you're thinking clear, you're, 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 you've been washed and made whole. He wanted to follow Jesus and look what Jesus says to him in verse 19. Now this is what all of us need to do. Go home. And tell your friends and tell them what great things have happened to you, basically. Go home and tell your family and friends what good things God has done for you. Go and tell. Everybody say, go and tell. That's got to be our mantra. It's got to be our mindset. I'm going to go. And, 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 you know, we we tend to think go. It says go into all the world. Absolutely. Uh but you know what? We Beaumont's a part of the world. Lumberton's a part of the world. Viner's a part of the world. Believe it or not, Viner. It's yeah. There, people love love God and Viner. People need the Lord and Viner and Lumberton and Silsby and and Coons and all of Sour Lake. There are even people in Sour Lake who need Jesus. Uh, and so wherever we go, we tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, go and tell. It's a great methodology that, that Jesus used, that we need to use as well. And then number two was come and see. Everybody say, come and see. Now, this is a great one too. It's, and, and we tend to lean on this when it comes to church and, and it's, it's a valid, it's a, you know, it's a valid, uh, it, methodology and evangelistic tool. Uh, in fact, you see it really at work in John chapter 1. Look in John chapter 1, verse 39. Jesus said to them, come and see. Everybody say, come and see. They were wanting to know, you know, uh, where he, ab- he abode and the teacher and what's going on in his world. He said, come and see. Now, that was, that was a simple illustration, but he got them to follow him. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now, it was about the 10th hour one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
And he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Everybody say he brought him to Jesus. I'm telling you, that's come and see. I'm going to bring you and you're going to see for yourself. Everybody say, go and tell and then come and see. There's a time when you just, when you just grab them and you say, listen, uh, you know what? I know what you need and I've met what, who and what you need and you're just going to have to come and see. And he did. He's, he's, he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, or that is Peter, which is translated a stone. Then the following day, watch this. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida in the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip, catch this, Philip found Nathaniel. Now, Simon's brother Andrew found Simon, and he said, basically, come and see. He brought him to Jesus. Now, Philip, who, who met Jesus personally, Philip went and found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. You got to see this. Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And I love this, man. When people start coming to see, Jesus sees them. What? If you can get people to come and see, Jesus will see them coming. And he'll see inside their life. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile or deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. And I bet Nathaniel went, whoa, this guy is legit. He's been seeing me when I didn't know he was watching. Nathaniel said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, behold, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater than these. Everybody say, come and see. Now, go over to John 4. This is the woman at the well. If you remember, the woman at the well, Jesus read her mail. She was, she was an immoral woman. She'd had five husbands, and she was uh, basically living with a man, and, uh, and, and she, he, he spoke prophetically to her. And she left her water pot and went back into town. And she went into town and, and uh, she said this in verse 29. Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. This little woman just met Jesus by the well and, and instinctively, when she realized she was in the presence of the Christ and he was real, she ran back to town and told everybody, 
Come and see. And then the whole town basically came out and the disciples saw them coming. The, and Jesus said, uh, in verse, uh, uh, 35, do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look for the fields are white already to harvest. And he was pointing at the people of Samaria who were coming out. And they all came out and he preached Christ. It said, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things I ever did. Wow. Everybody say, come and see. Here's another one that I think we lean on a lot, but it's certainly valid, but it's, well, all of these need to be mixed and used together and in different combinations. And this one is love and live. The motivation is love, but how we live our life is a methodology as well. In fact, what does Matthew chapter 5 say about, about us? He talks about we're the salt of the earth and, and, and really basically how we live our life affects the people around us. And then he said we're the light of the world and it says the world will see us and see our Good works. Everyone say good works. How many of you know what good works are motivated by? Love of God. The world will see because we're letting our light shine. The world will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So listen, it's not just go and tell, come and see, but it's love people and live it. Live it out in front of people. And when they see the transformed life, and the love of God being manifest through through you, they will glorify God in heaven. They'll come to Christ by seeing a transformed life. Everybody said amen. I think of Cornelius. Now, I want you to see Cornelius. I, I, I probably need to preach a message or two on Cornelius. Turn to, turn to Acts chapter 10. If you remember the story of Cornelius... He was not a Jew, but he was a devout man, and he was he was uh, a God-fearing man. And look look about his life and how it influenced the world around him. Therefore, in fact, Cornelius was the one that God chose to uh, to pour out upon his family the not to non-Jews the power of the Holy Spirit and release the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, I've been probably within a 100 yards of where this story took place. I possibly could have sat in his living room. I don't know, but but uh, you can get this, the, the geography of this very close to where this happened because he was, it says, uh, he was a certain man of Caesarea. That's by the sea, Caesarea by the sea. You could Google that and see pictures. It's pretty cool. In fact, there's, there's Roman, uh, uh, jacuzzis there. And in fact, there's, there's kind of, I have a picture somewhere of, of a toilet stall in a sense, uh, brick toilets that the Romans had built. Pretty, pretty significant, uh, in that day. Uh, and, uh, it's Caesarea by the sea. Uh, and he was a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment. <coughs> Pardon me, a cohort, which I think I don't remember. Is that a hundred people? I don't know. He he was a man of authority in the in the Roman army. But catch this about his life: he was a devout man, 
and one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms, we've talked about that, generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Now, I'm telling you, this man was loving and living. Everybody say, love and live. He was loving and living. He was living it, and he was loving people. He gave alms to the to the people, and he prayed to God always. And it says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearing in the vision, and so on and so forth. And what happened uh, through his life the gospel of God in cooperation with Peter in the vision of God. Peter meets Cornelius under divine directive, you know, and they come together. And in verse 44, Peter, while still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water? And they began to baptize them. And the, and the Gentiles, and if you're not a Jew, this is you, this is where God uh, opened up the, the gospel of God to the Gentiles, and he did so through a person who, who loved it, and he loved God and he lived it out and God used him in cooperation with Peter in the preaching of the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ was open. The door was open to the Gentiles, nations of the world. And so that's a great methodology in our life. Certainly coupled with come and see and go and tell is love and live. We've got to love people and live it out before them. And I'm telling you, it'll make a difference in people's life. You can't always, you know... uh uh Oh, I see, I have these things that I kind of remember. Let's see if I can butcher this real good. You know, you're, we're to love people and share, uh, the gospel with people, uh, you know, everywhere we go. And if necessary, use words. In other words, you live it out. You live the gospel. And if necessary, use words. Well, we know a lot of times it's necessary. Uh, in fact, Titus chapter one, I think, or two, it says he manifested his word through preaching. And so, uh, love and live. And here's number four. I want to just say it this way. Power, preaching, and teaching. Man, preaching and teaching under the power and the emphasis and the, in, in, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there's many different places where we see Jesus teaching and preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Mark 2, 2, it's the story where he's in the house and, and, and they, and it says immediately people, when, the, when he was in the house, immediately people began to flock and he began to teach them the things of God. And I think this is where they let the, 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 the lame man down through the roof. I'm not sure, but, uh, it, it was his power packed. Holy Ghost anointed preaching and teaching. Uh, and you see it in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2 with Peter. They're full of the Holy Spirit. He preaches the gospel and thousands of people are born again through the power preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Acts chapter 10, uh, it, it, the same thing. It, I just read it. Peter speaking these words, the Holy Spirit Fell. Let's see what Acts 14 is. 14, 21, uh, says this. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and, and Antioch. Man, I want to tell you, uh, 
there, there's something about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard, I read, you know, I don't know if I believe everything I read on the internet, uh, but I do read some things and some things I, I just say, eh, I don't want to read that when it comes to things about the church or whatever. I, I, I try to filter through things. Uh, but what, as a pastor, when they start beginning talking about, you know, cultural shifts, uh, there, there is a behind the scenes shifting going on, uh, in local churches. Uh, and, and it is this. There, a, a, a hunger and a desire for people to return to the just, the good old gospel preaching and teaching of the word of God. Uh, and don't, you know, we, we've, we went through a season of entertain me, you know, bless me, uh, you know, show me, you know, scratch me, hug me, kiss me, love me. It's all about me. Little old me, millennial me. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and there's a shift away from that where people are starving and for the preaching of the word of God. And, 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 and you see Jesus, I'll never forget, uh, this was early on in the history of this church. Uh, I, I had a, what I thought was a very faithful brother who was in it for the long haul come to find out that wasn't the case. He had a different motivation and mindset. He wanted to be in charge and take over and really be the pastor. I didn't realize that for a while. When that didn't happen, he started trying to undermine the church and he came, he came up with this idea. Pastor, we need less preaching and more worship and praise. I said, so you say we're out of balance with preaching and, and we need more worship and praise. Well, I kind of like that. And I said, well, show me that in the New Testament. Did Jesus go into the next towns and worship, have praise sessions? Man, he was a preacher and a teacher. So don't, don't come to me telling me we need less preaching. We need more preaching. We need more teaching. We need thus saith the Lord. We need the word of God. And like, Some, somebody say amen. <laughs> and you can do that too. Amen. So it's power preaching and teaching. And then number five, I'll say it this way, prophetic anointing. What did Jesus have with the woman at the well? He had prophetic anointing. What did Jesus have with Nathaniel? I saw you by the fig tree. Prophetic anointing. Years ago, Beverly and I, I don't know that we were married, but we were, uh, we were on a youth choir trip. Um, we may have been dating at the time. We went to a little town out in, uh, West Texas. I can't remember the name of the town, but there was these little praying nuns. They prayed all the time and they were Holy Ghost nuns. I'd never met, I'd heard about them, but I'd never met them before. And so we walk in church and church was kind of, uh, we walk in church and we were, we're sitting there and, and standing and worshiping and it came time to greet one another. And I turned around and there was the little nuns. And uh, this little nun, I said, hello. And she said, hello. She had an accent. I don't know if it was what, I'll just make up one. Hello, Sam. How are you? And I said, I'm very well. How did you know my name? And she said, oh, a little birdie told me. <laughs> I went, okay. I mean, these little gals were in tune. And the only per I, I asked my youth pastor, did you tell her my name? Who your name? The little nuns. No. I said, well, they knew my name. He said, yeah, that's them. They hear things. They have a prophetic anointing. And let me just say to us, 
How life, how, how many doors could we unlock in the hearts of people with a prophetic anointing on our life to just speak truth into people's lives? There have been times in my life, it comes upon me sporadically. It needs to come upon me more. There, there are times it comes upon me sporadically I, and, and, and I see things that, that, I, that if I'm really confident, I'll share them. And it's like a key unlocks in the door of people's hearts when they realize God cared enough about me to tell this guy about me. Lord, give us a prophetic anointing to break through all the hubbub. Amen. The gifts of the Spirit are not just for the benefit of the local church. They have an evangelistic grace on them. Amen. And then finally, let me throw this one out, and, and, and I'll, I'll give credit to the guy who wanted to take over uh, because praise and worship does have an effect in the spirit realm when it comes to harvest. In fact, Acts chapter 16, uh, I think it's Paul and Silas are in jail. They're about to have their heads lopped off uh, if God doesn't intervene. And what are they doing? They're singing praise, pray, and, praise and hymns of praise to God. And everybody's listening. I want to tell you something. When you get a praising heart in your life, people will start listening. If you're praising him at work, at school, wherever you may be, I'm telling you, there is a supernatural effect that will begin to take over and people will begin to listen. And these people, he had, they had a captive audience, by the way. They were in jail. People were listening. Uh, and even the jailer was listening. And that's when the jailhouse began to rock and the supernatural first jailhouse rock took place. And all the bars, all the gates came open and all the chains fell off. And the jailer and his family were born again and revival broke out and people were delivered because Paul and Silas were worshipers. So there is some methodology to praise and worship making a difference in the spiritual atmosphere in people's life. And so what's our motivation? It's the love of God. What's our mindset? I'm here to seek and to save that which was lost. This is why I'm here. This is what, this, what did Jesus say about, what did it say? He said, uh, I came to seek and save that which is lost. That's my, my mindset. That's what I do. And the methodology is go and tell. Everyone say, go and tell. Come on, everybody say, go and tell. Everybody say, come and see. Everyone say, love and live. Everyone say, power preaching and teaching, prophetic anointing, and praise and worship. I'm sure there's a lot of different. And you know, you what, we put all that in a big old pot and start stirring it all up in our life. We'll begin to see people's lives transform. Amen. And it might begin like it did with the demoniac, with his family and friends. You go home to your family, tell your friends all the things God's done for you. Go and tell. Everybody said amen. Well, let's stand up together tonight. Jesus, we thank you again for the opportunity to share your word and be a salt and light to a world that needs you so desperately. We pray tonight that our hearts and our lives would be motivated with love. That our mindset would be to search out lost people. 
minister to them. That we would go and tell. We would tell people to come and see. That we would love and live. That we would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would have a prophetic anointing in our life. We would live a life of worship and honor to you that would so impact the world around us that they, their lives would be changed as well. We thank you, Lord, for it. We give you all the praise. And everybody said amen.